Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. I think this is a great point that I want to stop on and say to you. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and your life is radically changed, some of your family members don't get it. And they're going to say to you, you're out of your mind. Ever have it happen? Now, don't prove that by being weird. Jesus is coming. He's coming on the third. But if you're radically changed, so be it. In today's message, we'll learn about the training of the 12 disciples. Pastor Mark will share with us that we are also disciples. We're in a constant process of training, learning, and growing. And while we're doing so, we're to be about our Father's business. We need to be submitted to God, allowing His grace to empower us to obey. And it's the reflection of that grace in our lives that draws the lost to the truth. It should be our desire that they see the power of God at work in us. Don't you want to bring God glory? Don't you want others to know how wonderful, mighty, and loving He is? Well, one of the best ways to do that is to share it through your life. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. I'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 13, with our continuing study entitled, WWJD. This is not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't clone people. They, they weren't all clones of him. Actually, they were more like clowns. The clones. They were average garden variety men. The only thing that was common about them was this. They really didn't have any religious education. They were just from all different works of life, unique backgrounds. Actually, as we study, I, I'm glad they weren't all alike because We'd have only one gospel this morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four views of Jesus' life by four different apostles. If they were all clones, we'd have one. I'm glad for four. So even this morning we said, Mark has a certain perspective, and Luke said he prayed all night. Different perspective. And it brings variety to us. Now, how could Jesus choose these 12? When we look at them, we kind of laugh, really. And as you and I are going to follow them through, if you look at their character, we find that basically they're impulsive, they're temperamental, they're dull in their learning, and they really have very little faith. That gives me a lot of hope for me, doesn't it for you? As you look at the apostles and Jesus chose those 12, I'm excited. Every time I see them fail, I go, yes, there's hope for me. Because these are the guys, now what did he see in them? Listen, here's what he saw. It wasn't anything in their face, their makeup, their business. It was the raw potential that was inside them. You see, Jesus saw what these men could become. By the way, that's the very same thing that Jesus sees in your life this morning. It's not your education. It's not your background. 
It's not what church you were raised in, who your parents are, what kind of jeans you have, whether you wear glasses or not. By the way, in that movie, glasses were bad. You can't wear glasses. So all you have glasses, you're an imperfect person this morning or whatever. We know that anyway, don't you? It isn't any of that. It's the potential God has placed in you. Many of us don't see that. And that's good. Because see, when God uses people that we look outside and say, how could God use them? Then we go, because it's God. There's only one common denominator to any of us that's any good, and it's God. This morning, that's why we bring glory to God, never to a man, no matter who they are or what they've done. Now, even though these 12 men were different, they had one common purpose. They had one common purpose. And let's see that in verse 14. Verse 14 says, that they might be with him. With him. That brings us to point number two. Train disciples. First is you have to call the disciples. Second is to train the disciples to be with him or to learn WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, with him tells you about what Jesus was going to do. This was a relationship. It wasn't a religion. Now, let's take you and you have an appointment for surgery. You go in, you're laying there getting ready to get your lovely versed that is a great truth serum. As you're there, the doctor comes by and he says, I've just finished eight years of great education at the greatest, the most impressive medical school in all of the United States. And I'm doing your surgery. Man, you're excited. This is good. Then the nurse comes by and says this, there's only one problem. He's never had a scalpel in his hand before. How would you feel? Peace, peace, one. Huh? You're saying, get me another doctor, 911, something. You see, you want a surgeon that's practiced. You don't want to be the first one. But you want a surgeon that practice. And how they do that is with an intern. They get with another surgeon and they observe. They watch him. And then they can begin to do little things as the main surgeon watches them. That's why all their years of internship. See, we in the church haven't learned that in some cases. We take a lovely young man, send him through four years of college, send him to seminary for three years. And by the way, all the book learning is very important. I think it's good. Doesn't have to be done at seminary, but it needs, you need to be studying. Then we send him, put him in a pulpit and say, here's your church. He's never been with a pastor. He's never had an internship. He doesn't know what he's doing. And here he is like a surgeon. He's never had a scalpel before. And by the way, usually it's disaster in the church. See, Jesus said, I'm not taking you and just quote you some passages of scripture and then turn you out to the world. You're going to be with me for three years. Right by my side. You're going to watch me. You're going to see what I'm doing. That's what training means. And that's the importance of you and I understanding that discipleship is not some long distance relationship. It's a close relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I believe our training, like the disciples' training, comes in three steps. Let me give them to you this morning quickly. All of us have been called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What are the three steps? First of all this, private quiet times. There were times in Jesus' life when he took John aside. And he got together with John and said, John, let's talk. There are times in your life 
And I believe it should be a few times every week where you take a few moments to get alone quietly with God. You see, you'll never know God's character unless you get alone with Him. There is no way to replace a quiet time listening to God speak. Remember, Jesus prayed all night, then chose His disciples. Jesus will take quite often, we'll see it in the book of Mark, He'll be ministering to a crowd like this, then at the end of the day, He says to the 12 guys, okay, come here, let's sit down. Now, what did you learn today? What happened? What, you know, I watched you, Peter, and you blew it over there, Peter. <laughs> That's not the way. James, what are you doing calling fire down from heaven? That's not me. What kind of bracelet you got on? What would Jesus do? You don't hear me bringing fire down from heaven on people that aren't Christians. On the religious people, yes. But not on the people who don't know me. They don't know any better. Give them some grace, James. See, there's accountability in small group settings. Where is that accountability in your life? The elders are mine, certainly my wife. Where's your accountability? So Jesus would gather the 12 together. You'll see it all the time. And he would say to them, hey, cut it out. Good move. Nice. It's not only for challenging them in the wrong way, it's encouraging them. You did good today. I like what you did. This is wonderful. You see, sometimes we appear as somebody we're not. In Ephesians chapter 4, I won't have you turn there this morning, you see that a pastor teacher is given as a gift to the body of Christ. It isn't my talents, it's the gift that God gives me to explain the word so that you can see it, put it in practice in your life. And the corporate setting, you guys are doing great. You're coming, I get letters, many of you write letters and say, man, I'm growing up, I can't believe what God's doing in my life. Praise God, that's what you're supposed to be here for. You're taking notes, you're matching the word, you're putting your bracelets on and your life is matching. Many of you, just to surprise what God is doing, don't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised at all. This is what really is supposed to take place in our life. The third thing that we want to do this morning is, first of all, Jesus called disciples. Secondly, he trained disciples. Thirdly, he sent them out. Look at verse 14. That they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. You see, discipleship is not some theoretical exercise. It's always hands-on. God wasn't training the 12 disciples to say after he left, nice training, huh? Here's your certificate. He was sending them out into the world to have their hands-on to meet the needs of people. Now. The only way to meet the needs of those people that were growing was to have more people. That's the same principle as today. If you're a disciple, and you should be this morning, you should be doing two things. Number one, as verse 14 says, he sent them out to preach. You should be sharing the good news. And that was taking place. So you'll be sharing the gospel. Secondly, notice in verse 15, you'll be ministering to the needs of hurting people. Now, you can't do that in your own power. That has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. You see, lost people matter to God. Hurting people matter to God. God is a tender God. He has compassion on people's lives. Now, your maturity comes in step number three. You will grow when you're sent out. If some of you have been trained, some of you have been in a Christian 
church all your life, but you're in no area of ministry. And secondly, you're frustrated. Because see, the potential that God has in you is not to be kept in you, it's to be stretched out. It's very interesting to me, as we study the disciples, all of these guys were probably younger than Jesus. Young men, challenged out of their mind. Step out, be trained, and then allow God to minister to you. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Let's look at verse 20. Jesus moves on, and he makes a very important statement. Verse 20 says this. Then Jesus entered a house, probably the house, he went back to Capernaum. Again, a crowd gathered, so much so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Now that's pretty tough, isn't it? The crowd and the ministries there, they've gone back to this house, the crowd just follows. You know, these masses of people just, you know, just follow them. He's in the house, he's ministering, he can't even eat. Now look at verse 21, because this is very important. When his family, you mean Jesus had a family? Yes. He had a mother and actually four brothers, we'll see. That may go against some of your former training. Just study the Bible with us while we go through. That's enough said. You'll see that Jesus had brothers. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said what? He's out of his mind. Mary knew that Jesus was to be a special son when the angel visited her. But it had been 30 years. You remember, even at age 12, she didn't understand why Jesus was in the synagogue. It's been 30 years. Now they hear, she hears her son is ministering and can't even eat. So she's thinking, he's going off the deep end. He's a lunatic. This Messiah thing has got to him. The, the four brothers say, you know, he was weird when we tried to play with him, whatever. He's a weird guy. I mean, he, he has gone. He won't even eat. So they love him. And they're going to go get him because they want to bring him back. Now this should bring some encouragement to you and I. Because really, Jesus became an embarrassment to his mother and to his four brothers. They didn't get it. I think this is a great point that I want to stop on and say to you. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and your life is radically changed, some of your family members don't get it. And they're going to say to you, you're out of your mind. Ever have it happen? Now, don't prove that by being weird. Jesus is coming, he's coming on the third one. But if you're radically changed, so be it. So that I encourage you, you know, Jesus, you'll see here in a moment, responds, responds with grace, he responds with patience, because later on we're going to see a miracle with this. So don't be discouraged just because sometimes family members don't get it. You just have to have patience with them. It was a long time maybe before you got it. So don't put down your family members. Pray for them. Give them grace. Give them some slack. Allow God to call them. You can't call them. Only God can. But you certainly can pray for them. Look at verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. And standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. So Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers travel from Nazareth about 30 miles away. And they're coming to get Jesus to take him home for a rest. He's lost it. They get there, the crowd is so big, they can't get inside. So they send word with some people, go in and tell Jesus that his mother and brothers are here. They want to speak to him. Now we come to a shocking statement in verse 33. And Jesus said, 
Who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looked at those seated in the circle. And the book of Matthew tells us that those seated in the circle were the disciples. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now in a family-oriented society, this is a very shocking statement. Was Jesus doing away with these ties of his mother and brother? No. Jesus knew his mother and brothers had come with the right motive, but they didn't understand the mission that Jesus was on. They didn't get it yet. He knew he only had a short time. He was putting all his effort into those three years. Sometimes he didn't eat, but later on in the book of John, we hear that Jesus says this, my food is to do the will of God. Even if he skipped a meal or two, it wasn't important because he wasn't fanatic, but he knew he was on a time schedule. Now, Jesus was not severing ties with his mother and brothers that were outside. Actually, we find later on that on the day of his crucifix, when he was on the cross, he from the cross says down and says, somebody take care of my mother when I'm gone. And later on in the book of Acts, we find on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus has died and resurrected, Mary and his brothers are in the upper room. They've become believers in Jesus Christ. Does that give you hope this morning for your relatives? It should. You see, Jesus didn't push it. He just went on with what God called him to do. And as they saw his life, the family members accepted Jesus Christ. Live the life, family member, and then pray for your unsaved loved ones to come to the Lord. In fact, we find out later that James even becomes one of the first pastors of the church at Jerusalem. What a change in these four guys that said, this is a weird brother. What kind of a guy is this? They come to be believers in Jesus Christ. See, the truth will come out. You know, if you allow it to come out. So Jesus is not doing away with the family. We find out all through the Bible as we study, and the, Jesus isn't saying, get rid of your mother. and He says, take care of them. But here's what Jesus is saying. There's a new relationship forming here. It's more important than the relationship that you're used to. See, the relationship that we're used to is an earthly one, flesh and blood. But Jesus said there's a new family coming. It's called the family of God family of God. When you and I were born, we were born into a physical family. It was a family of blood. We have relatives. How long will this family of physical nature last? Well, it will last until you and I die. Because in heaven, we're not related that way anymore. It's a whole new ball grain. Now, Jesus was saying, the relationship that I'm bringing you is stronger than the blood relationship. It's a relationship where God is your Father and it's a spiritual relationship and it will last for all eternity. And we even find this to be true. If you're here this morning and you have no earthly relatives close by that are believers, but you have Christian friends that are believers, your bond to them is stronger than your bond to your unsaved loved ones. Why? Because the spiritual always overrules the physical. Jesus is saying there's a new relationship coming. Now, what does this relationship mean? Quickly look at verse 35 and we'll see what it means, what the quality is, how to get in there. Jesus is looking at his 12 disciples and he says this, Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister 
and mother. In Luke, it says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put them into practice. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, if you're going to be in the family of God, you have to not just have knowledge that isn't enough. You can't just be a follower on the fringe. You have to have radical obedience. You have to do the will of God. If you're going to wear this, Jesus says, match your life to it. If you're going to say, what would Jesus do? Then the way you prove that you're in the family of God is you do what God says. This morning we're faced exactly with the same circumstances that Jesus was. We live in a world with six billion plus people. Lots of problems. What is God's solution? Calling more disciples, training them, and sending them out. That's you. That's me. Turn with me quickly to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. And we'll end. I think it's important for you to remember that your relationship with God is not something that's stagnant. It should be growing. It should be ongoing. We see in Acts chapter 4, this is after Jesus is resurrected, actually gone back to heaven. Peter and John come to a gate one day, and there's a lame man. They heal him. This lame man goes through the town shouting, and he's totally healed, and the people see this, and the religious authorities are puzzled. And here's what the religious authorities say. We killed this Jesus. How come this stuff is still happening? We killed him. And I believe Jesus in heaven's going, eh. that was my whole purpose, to transfer my life. What would Jesus do? What those guys did would carry on the ministry of Jesus. By the way, that's what we're supposed to be doing 2,000 years later. So look what they say to him in verse 13. said this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men were wearing this neat little bracelet that said WWJD. Well, they could have been. But really what the purpose was, they didn't have to wear a bracelet because it said these men had been with Jesus. They're only partly right. You see, this is not, our relationship with God is not a past tense relationship. Jesus was no longer there in the physical. He was there in the spirit. He was living inside them through the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me read you this statement. The leaders thought the key was the former contact with Jesus, like a Jesus clone. But the key is not a past relationship, but a current relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you're going to do what Jesus does, you cannot do it in your own strength. It must come from a fresh, ongoing relationship of Jesus Christ in your life. And that's where the power of God comes from. Guys, if we're going to do what Jesus is going to do, we're going to meet the needs of hurting people. He has a compassionate heart. And if you're going to do that, you need to be called. You are if you're a Christian. You need to be trained. You're being trained in a corporate setting. Make sure you're in a small group in a quiet setting. And number three, when God calls you, step out. Get excited. Go for it. And people will be astonished to look at you and go, why? Yes. And give the glory to Jesus Christ. As the children of God, as the disciples of Christ, we should be sharing His message of hope with all the world. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to become missionaries and fly overseas. Sure, there are some who are called to do just that. But not everyone, 
you could serve right where you're at. There's always someone hurting, someone in need, someone who just needs to know that God loves them. You can be the one to tell them. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll discuss companionship, oneness, being united. This is important for marriages as well as the body of Christ. You see, in order to be one, in order to have true unity, you must be on the same page. In your own body, if the right leg thinks left is the correct direction, and the left leg thinks that right is the correct direction, the body is going to end up useless and on the floor. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.